back. Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. And one welcome from me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP cast, brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tcompliance.co.uk. Now, our guest this time is a Great Britain international whose exploits have won him fame and bull kinds of fortune as well. He's a lion who's become a beast in the business world with a gazillion followers on Instagram following his every move. He's probably the most famous basketball player we've ever produced. But despite all of that, we shouldn't forget, he remains one of the most talented players that the UK has produced in recent years. Obi Soko, welcome to the MVP cast. Oh, man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Mark. I mean, this time last year, you're, you're finishing your third season in the Spanish ACB with Mercer. You're getting all second team, all first team nods in the, the Basketball Champions League. Life's pretty good, but back in this country, unless... You know, you're bumping into your friends or family or some random basketball anorak like me going down the street. You're not really getting bullet other from the usual, you're quite tall or you know, you're yeah. quite fit, you know, type, type thing. Then you go on Love Island and all hell breaks loose and, and life goes from zero to 90 in double quick time. What, can you put it in words, what has the past 12 months been like for you? Um, it's been different. Uh, it's been wild. <laughs> Um, plenty of ups, um, a couple of downs in there, uh, but the whole journey has been it's been terrific so far. Um, been a re- really privileged position to be in. Uh, I do understand that, uh, but it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been a learning process, and I'm continuing to learn a little bit more about life outside of basketball, the business world. Um, yeah. Have you had any chance, I suppose perhaps during lockdown, maybe a chance to kind of catch your breath and take it all in, all the things, you know, the doors that have opened, the things you've been able to do? Because it, you know, it's, it's quite an extraordinary existence that you've had. Yeah, uh, I have had moments um, like that where I sort of sit back and I, and I look at everything and, and it can be a bit overwhelming at times. But for the most part, I just live in a moment, um, try and enjoy the day I'm in because uh, it's the most important day at the end of the day. Um, I mean, for those who don't explain, let's put it in concept with love. For those who don't understand how this works, how, how, does, this, how does this come about that you end up on this show? Um, well, it was my brother's idea. I'll give him <laughs> 100% credit for it. Uh, you know, he sort of suggested it. It was a passing comment, you know, the previous summer when I was around visiting. Because him and his uh, missus, they're, they're big fans of the show. And they, he just came up with the idea. He was like, oh, you'd be great on that show. Um, I was never too familiar with it because I'd always been overseas. Um, so I didn't quite get the magnitude of the whole show or whatnot. I had heard of it, um, obviously, because if you're around in the UK in the summertime, it's hard not to, um, especially in recent years. So, uh, you know, I was... Uh, in Murcia after training one day and, and I was just a, a bit bored and I, and I looked up how to apply online. I applied and I got a call back and yeah, the rest is sort of history at the moment. 
I mean, I, I guess when you're on it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're slightly insulated from what's going on outside. What goes through your mind when you emerge from all this and you, you've got those first few shows after and you realize all these people know who I am and they now want to connect with my life? Yeah, that's probably the wackiest part of the whole deal, to be fair. Um, because I'm just living my life and, and I didn't do anything that was out of the norm. I didn't behave in any ways that was out of the norm for myself. So, you know, coming to this realisation that all of a sudden a ton of people, they want to follow your life. When in reality, you've been living the same way <laughs> the whole time. Um, a lot of the things that people probably saw me do on TV, I do in my house uh, on a daily basis. So, yeah, just getting my head around that has always been sort of, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest shocker out of the whole situation. I mean, mentally hard, hard tough is that, you know, that's celebrity status, if we can call it that, but it's, you know, there's great things to it and the opportunities, but there's also the... I don't want to call it inconvenience, but there's, you know, the things you have to deal with. I mean, how, how tough is that as a mental process for your life to kind of switch 150 degrees overnight? Well, um, I feel like I was in a bit of a privileged position just because I had, I would say in, in some ways training for that kind of environment, you know, through sports. Um, I've been recognised, you know, in places where I played. It hadn't been on the same magnitude, of course, but um, I wasn't unfamiliar with being recognised in a public eye somewhat um, and and being held to a certain standard, you know, because you are a role model in, um, in certain households, you, you know, you are a familiar face. So with all of that comes responsibility. Um, but I definitely think the sports side of things prepared me um, as well as, as you can be prepared for this sort of situation. I mean, the opportunity you have, we can just reel off a few. I mean, you're you know, a face of Diet Coke. You've got this clothing line on, on ASOS, all these TV appearances. I saw your Bake Off recently. Very impressive. What, uh, what, what's, what's been the most fun part of all this? Uh, the most fun? I would say my book, to be fair. Um, you know, because in everything, a big part of, of, you know, why I wanted to do the book was to give something back, um, give something back to a, a lot of people who have obviously supported me and um, really been rooting for me. And I feel like the best way you can give something back to someone is giving them something of substance and something that can help them. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and, and the book way was the best way for me to, to go about that, to try and give people something that they can take away with them. Um, yeah. I mean, it's coming out in October. What, has it got a title? What, what will, when we pick up this book, what will we find out? What will the message be within the book? Yeah, well, um, the name of the book is You Are Dope. And uh, it's really about, helping people rediscover, you know, their finer inequalities, the things that are unique to them. I feel like when we grow up, um, somewhere along the line, a lot of us lose lose sight of, you know, the value we hold as an individual. Um, and we very quickly uh, get into 
you know, sort of this repetitive routine of just daily life um, that makes us forget, wait, hold on, I'm an individual, I have individual qualities that I bring to this planet that are very, very unique and extremely valuable. But those are all of a sudden pushed to the back. We don't nurture those. We don't nurture the things that are unique to us. Um, and it's very easy to get into a frustrated place in life because unless you're tending to your unique qualities, uh, I think it's very hard to find fulfillment. Um, so, yeah, it's just trying to get people to, you know, realise that and realise the power in knowing, you know, your own value. I mean, I remember speaking to you, it was probably three or four years ago, not long after, you, you know, probably come into, back to Europe. And there was a thing that you said was, you know, you, you wanted to kind of, stay true to yourself and stay quite authentic and you know these things in a sense could can be cliche sometimes but you could have gone on this show uh, and you have a you know a personality and being this super version of yourself and being out there and being crazy but i think what's impressed a lot of people is that you still you're still you and it's not being massively out there and people see that as you being incredibly positive role model. Is that being, has it been useful to kind of hold on to you and not change too much despite all this? And to an extent, do you, do you see the power of that when other people's, I suppose, particularly young males can see that and go, actually, I don't have to be quote unquote, a moron to be successful Mm -hmm. or be a celebrity. Yeah. um, I think it really is an important message to try and, you know, get out there. Because uh, especially with the social media era that we're in now, it's a struggle that a lot of people run into. They have, they feel this um, necessity to be maybe something they're not, or, you know, subscribe to certain trends that they're not particularly interested in. Um, And my whole thing is I've, I've had experiences where I haven't, you know, been true to myself on my journey. You know, I touch on some of that stuff in the book also. But, um, you know, just from my personal experiences, I see the power of sticking to your own guns and sticking to who you are. You know what I mean? You'll always have the most strength, the most value in sticking to who you are. You know what I mean? Um, And the more you do that, the more confidence it gives you and the more confidence it gives you to walk your own path, which ultimately that's what all of us have to do um, in this life, regardless whether we like it or not, it's a fact. We all walk this planet alone, um, you know. So, yeah. When when were you least true to yourself, and how did you kind of catch yourself on and drag yourself back from it? Um, well, I can't go back in. I can't go into too much detail, or I'll give away the whole. <laughs> Buy book. the book. But, nah. <laughs> no, but um, I, I would say probably some of my toughest years were. Um, you know, the adolescent years, when I was, you know, a teenager, growing into sort of manhood, um, it was a it was a process for me. You know what I mean? I definitely went on a journey. I made my fair share of mistakes. Um, and I think that's a really hard time for young adults, you know, when they're really trying to figure themselves out, um, you know, when potentially you're first moving out of the house, you're, you're getting all of this freedom. And and you really wanna you wanna fit in, but you know um, I think that's where the there becomes a little bit of a, a internal struggle. 
because uh, people want to fit in, but they don't know if being them true selves is what fits in and what will be accepted by their peers and whatnot. Um, so I think it's a point in life for all of us have um, we've come to that crossroad at different points. But yeah, that was my own experience. Has it been sort of strange of I think you know, because you've you know you're in tabloids and you're in TV and you're doing all these other things. Is it strange sometimes that for you that it's often overlooked that amidst all this, you're an incredibly good basketball player as your trade? Yeah, um, it's hilarious because you know <laughs> some of the some of the opportunities that have come by and have come out of this. You know, a lot of work with the NBA, a lot of work with Sky Sports. Um, it's been terrific. You know, and I've been so grateful for those opportunities. Um, and it's funny that I've gone this route and it's helped me get opportunities in a world that I've really, you know, I've dedicated my whole life to. So, um, you know, there's always different ways you can look at it, but I just see it as a blessing. Everything's worked full circle. Was there any sort of dilemma last summer? Because, you know, you're, you finished your third year in the ACB. As I understand, you got a new deal there to go to go back there this current season but then all these doors open and you know it means jumping off this pathway that you've worked so hard to build for yourself but then you've got these other opportunities I mean was there a part of you that's like do I want to give this thing up to get this other thing or was it pretty straightforward um, for me, you know there was a period where it was a little bit tricky and I would say the most the the trickiest part was when I first came off the show uh, because obviously a million things are hitting me at once. But um, ultimately, I I appreciate the the fact that my path is very different and, and it's very unique to anyone else's. Um, and there's things that will make sense in my path that might not make sense to anyone else. So, you know everything I've done has made perfect sense to me. Um, and I don't think I've particularly closed any doors. Um, and, and, and yeah, man. And, it, and it's just worked out well for me. It's really just worked out well for me. Uh, but Who's the coolest person you've met over the past 12 months? The coolest person? Oh. Apart from you see, Justin uh, Robinson, obviously. No, nah, you see, um, I'm not really into um, celebrity so much, man. Like, you know, I've met tons of cool... I meet cool people every day. <laughs> I meet cool people every day. You know, I'm not one to say because um, a lot of people have seen this person on TV. They're extra cool or whatever. I haven't met Denzel yet. Um, I think that's <laughs> that's probably one person if I met, I'll be like, oh, I met this cool guy. Like Denzel and Obama, Barack. Those two... Once I've met those two, everyone else. <laughs> that's the bucket list complete. Yeah, that's the bucket list. <laughs> Denzel and Obama. Go back a long while. Where, where's this love for hoops that you've got come from? Oh, you know what? You want to hear a funny answer to that one? Uh, it started with my brother again. <laughs> <laughs> a big yeah, influence. <laughs> yeah, no, my bro- you can tell. Um, he was the first one to pick up a basketball in our house. Um and yeah, I was just the annoying brother. I just tagged along. But, you know, the more I tagged along, the more I played, the more I sort of fell in love with it. 
Um, and then he grew out of it and I never quite did, you know. And I, I pretty soon figured out, all right, no, nah, this is something I, I want to really pursue. And yeah. Who was, who was the influence at that point in terms of nurturing your talent and, you know, I, I guess making you think, hold on, I might have, I might have something here. I might have a future within this. Um, I would say, yeah, like early on, I just used to love competing with my brother. Um, and then obviously once I started watching a little bit of NBA, this was when Iverson was around the 2000 Lakers, all those guys were, you know, in full swing. T-Mac, I think he had moved over to the Rockets um, when I was a bit younger. And those are all guys that, you know, obviously you look up to as, as a basketball player. Um, watched a lot of and one. Watched a lot of and one. I would say a big part of my love came from um, just the whole culture that and one had around, you know, the game, the sort of street ball and like the music, the fans. Just I loved the whole culture of the game. Um, yeah. And as I continued to fall in love with it, I improved and I just wanted to pursue it, man. Because you weren't, I mean, you weren't the most hyped up kid even in, in London no. coming through. I mean, that's, no, no, no. It's, which seems strange now, but it did seem you got overlooked somehow. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't get any looks from the national team. Um, I was really unknown. Uh, there were a lot of guys that were a lot better than I was. Um, a lot of guys who were um, ranked higher than me or whatever you call it. And there was a lot of buzz around a lot of guys and I heard it all. <laughs> so I think that was a bit of a, a good motivator, especially when I did head out to the States, you know. I knew that I had left an unknown, but um, part of me always knew, all right, well, I'll, I'll pop up around here one day and, you know. Does that, does that leave you with a, you know, a slight sort of chip in the shoulder to go, hold on, I'm, I'm going to show you guys? Oh, I mean, I think it does as, as an athlete naturally, man. You know, you, you have to believe you're on hype to a certain degree. Um, I... I believe my own hope, but more than that, I, I always worked hard. I've always been a really hard worker. That's, um, that's something I knew that, you know, I, I, I probably had over a lot of other guys. I was definitely willing to outwork guys. Um, and yeah, man, I went over to the States, I worked, and, you know, the next time I think I showed up was the under-20s for GB. And I don't even think they uh, were expecting much of me, to be fair. I think they only invited me to the GB camp as a formality. Because a lot of the time, once the guys are playing um, in a university in the States, it's almost like, all right, well, he's playing in a Division One university, so let's bring him in. Um, that's just sort of how it goes. And, yeah, I went there. Um, and funny story, I remember... I was uh, roommates of um, Lawrence, Andrew Lawrence, first camp. And, you know, he was like, well, this guy, this guy, and this guy, they've probably already made the team. Um, and in my head, I'm like, I'm going to make this team, you know. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> say it, but, you know, I knew there was um, the guys that had been loved by the program. You know, Jamel was up there. Jamel was one of the guys. Um, but I was like, all right, 
And then from the first day of camp, yeah, I think I did have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, and yeah, man, we ended up having a pretty good summer. And yeah, I was that, bit... I mean, that was really a breakout thing. I know it, probably people like me included it was the first time we'd really seen you out there and say, hold on a minute, you know, this, this guy can play. But, you know, aside from sort of you satisfying yourself from making that team, how much of of that also helped you kind of appreciate your non-limits or lack of limits as well? Um, I think at that age, I was still at an age where I didn't, I didn't really register with limits. I think you, you register with limits more the older you get, um, you know, because experience of seeing so many people sort of reach a limit in one way or another, it kind of teaches us limits. But I think when you're younger, you really don't, you feel like you can take on the world. You feel like you're indestructible. You haven't had any injuries. You haven't um, gone through certain disappointments or whatnot. So, you know, you naturally believe like you can take on the world. And I was still at that point. Um, and yeah, man, I, I didn't think there was anyone I couldn't take on at that age. When you're totally a senior at Duquesne, and you were setting your sights on the NBA, and yeah, lofty goal for anyone, but you know, guys, guys do it. That happens. That's what the dream is, and that, that's what you work for in a sense. Yeah. What was your sense that year of how realistic that dream was at that point? Um, I knew I'd. I knew I had an opportunity. I knew I'd done enough to get looks. Um, but then I knew also I had to be flawless in, you know, with the small opportunity I had. Um, you know, and I went to work out with the Bucks and the Warriors. Um, and the Warriors, to be fair, before that one, I didn't feel great because I had just come back from Treviso in Italy. I literally flew straight from Treviso over to the Bay. Um, and I was telling my agent, I was like, oh, man, like, you know what I mean? My legs are going to be short. Um, like, I don't know how much I'm going to have in a tank, but then obviously this, you know, these opportunities don't, don't come by all the time. And that ended up being, you know, my better workout. I, I had a great performance there. Um, they ended up wanting me to do the D-League route. But at that point, you know, financially, I had to come back over to um, Europe. Uh, it just made more sense for my own situation. Is there a part of you that ever thinks, what if? Because it is a tough choice when yeah. you've got the dilemma of you know, where your career goes at that point. Um, yeah, what if they creep in there sometimes as an athlete? But uh, I just don't dwell on that, man. I just don't. I just don't dwell on that. I feel like every part of my career, um, I try to see things on a bigger picture. Okay, if we look at just the basketball aspect of things, that will drive me to say, okay, what if this, that, or the other? But now if I look at the life experience that I've gained from living in Greece, from living in France, from living in Spain, from living in Italy, um, that's uh, that's value that I can carry throughout the rest of my life, and that will help me in 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 tons of different ways. 
Um, and I feel like it is those experiences that have helped me become a much more well-rounded person. You know, there were certain uh, struggles that were going on when I was living in uh, Greece. That was when the economy um, took a real hit. And over there, things were really, really tough, you know, and it built up a certain mental toughness. I had to go through certain things, um, late payments, not getting paid, uh, no water, no internet, you know, didn't have a car at first, had to use a bike. Um, like Greece was, Greece was tough, do you know what I mean? Um, but these are all life lessons. This is, you know, these are things that I learned that are way bigger than basketball. Um, that maybe if I had stayed in the States in the comfort of the Bay Area, maybe I wouldn't have learned some of these things that have helped me become, you know, helped me grow into a young man, really. How much, I mean, you're quite fortunate you've, you were playing four really nice countries in Southern Europe. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's not bad during winter to be based in those places. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I'm sure there's a few cold days, but, you know, you've picked well. How much are you the kind of person that embraces the the vicinity and the culture and the place that you're in you know there because there's are four great places to live yeah um that was uh, a journey of its own you know i went to france and i was pretty close i was a closed book you know i was still my mind was still in america i was like man okay how do i do any and everything to get back over to the states um and you know what that did was on the court like i was performing but then off the court I wasn't taking full advantage of being in such a nice country do you know what I mean I was living in the south of France and I just wasn't taking uh, as big advantage of it as I should I wasn't learning a language I wasn't picking up on stuff like that um, things that you should definitely take full advantage of when you're you know sort of traveling around the world these are opportunities that most people they just don't get um, so, you know, that was something that I learned that year. And then when I went to Greece the next year and it was a really tough situation, I was sort of forced into the culture of things because I was, um, in a certain respect, living the same way everyone else was. Um, you know, I could only take out 500 euros, uh, I think, a week, just like everyone else could only take out 500 euros a week from the bank. Um, you know, so it forced me into you know, just the culture. And I loved it. I still got um, tons of friends in Greece and I go back and visit those guys when I can. Um, but now, you know, I've been able to build uh, lifelong friendships and, you know, stuff like that. How satisfying does it make it? Because it wasn't, wasn't as if you were starting at the highest team in France or the highest yeah. league, etc. And then you make it to the ACB, the second best league in the world and you're playing in European competition and you're doing really well on top of that. Can you, can you sort of, again, it's about stepping back, but can you appreciate that journey and actually to be at that level and join, and obviously playing against very high level teams in Real Madrid, Barcelona, et cetera. Can you, can you step back to and to a little bit go, yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things I have, I struggle with. I, I, I don't tend to step back really and just kind of dwell on um, past, past events. You know, I do understand, you know, I always take it from a position of, okay, it's a huge privilege to be able to be in that position. 
Um, and now my job is to work hard and, and, and do the best I can. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's my job uh, as the athlete. It's other people's job um, to say, oh, man, you, you've done well and they'll pat you on the back. Cool. But, you know, for me, you know, especially to um, feel fulfilled, I just have to keep on pushing forward. I think it's something where, you know, once my career is over, I'll be able to sit back and I'll be like, all right, all right, yeah, man. You know, I've, I've, I've done it. I've done it to the best of my ability and I've done it my way. Do you know what I mean? And, and that will, you know, that will give me the most fulfillment. Who's the toughest guy you had to go up against in Spain? Toughest player. Ooh. Oh, that's, that's a hard one, man. Uh, there's a lot of really talented guys. My position, though, Shangelia. Toko Shangelia. Mm. Plays for Barcelona. Definitely, definitely. Um, very physical, uh, really athletic, can handle the ball. Um, he's sort of like a point forward. There's not many of them I feel like in Europe. But yeah, man. Really high IQ, great player, man. Do you feel like, I mean, I think Dan Clark may have said something along these lines, but do you still feel as a British player, even when you get into these leagues and you, you, know, you, you can clearly see that you fit in there, but is there still a kind of cultural thing where players go, you're British, you can't be that good? Oh, of course, man. Like, <laughs> um, British basketball is still not respected. Um, but, you know, I, I, I try not to... Um, think about that too much you know what they think of me is is that's not my that's not on me you know what I mean at the end of the day they still have to guard you and they still have to play you so you know it, it's almost like saying oh yeah that boxer he's no good you still got to get in the ring with him mate <laughs> do you know what I mean you got to prove that he's not that good um, you know and I've always been able to hold my own so um you know, regardless of what they think, say or don't say, uh, you know, I've always been right up there with all of them. So, I presume after three years in Spain, you're pretty fluent in Spanish, obviously. No. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I wouldn't say fluent. I want to say fluent. I get around by myself. Um, I can communicate with everyone there. That's. <laughs> I mean, back. I mean, that move back to London and playing for the Lions, and you know, it's. It's, it's the best option on the table given everything else that's going on in your life in one sense. But how, how tough is that adjustment to come back to this league having played in the ACB? Um, it just takes a lot of getting used to. It takes takes a bit of getting used to. Um, but to be fair, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it to be you know, the same as the ACB, to be fair. I don't, I don't think that would have been fair. You know what I mean? The ACB has so many more sponsors. They have so much more money that's pumped into a league that allows it to be the league that it is. Um, you know, obviously, they have a lot of talent over there. But, you know, there's a lot of really good players over here in the UK also. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things. I, I never expected um, it to be an extraordinary level. Um, but, you know, it, it still took adjusting, nonetheless. What's the biggest switch that you have to make? Is it mental? Is it the way you play? I mean, how, how, what's the adaptation that you had to make? Um, I would say mentally. 
for, for me personally, mentally, um, that was probably the biggest adjustment, you know, you have to make because now it's not like you necessarily have Madrid or Barcelona to chase. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, that was one thing, you know, when I was playing in Spain or even in Greece, you have, you know, these teams that you can use as a gauge. Do you know what I mean? They're, you know, these are the best teams in Europe. Um, and probably, yeah, they're definitely the best teams outside of the NBA that you're competing with. So you can use them as a legitimate gauge to see, OK, where am I at? But now, you know, when I was playing in the UK, you're not playing against necessarily the best teams in Europe. So um, you, it has to come from yourself. You have to be motivated by yourself. You have to push yourself because um, no one else will really push you. There's nothing quite like a midweek trip to Cheshire in the ACB. Oh, uh, man. Oh, no, they got, they got those, some long road trip. Trust me, the ACB isn't... Um, <laughs> It's not all uh, all roses. Uh, there's some long, some long bus trips. Trust me. When you when you were playing for GB back in the Eurobasket qualifiers, and obviously that's a higher level. Did did a sense does it mean a little bit more, and did it become a little bit more important to have in the midst of this season a couple of games or a week or so where the level becomes elevated for you again? Oh, that was that was huge for me, man. That was huge for me. Um, just to be able to, you know, it's always huge for me to be able to link up with the guys on the GB squad. Um, it's always a really positive energy on the team. I feel like the program's done a really good job in recent years of, you know, sort of building the the type of family atmosphere that you need to build to, you know, um, you need as foundations to build any program. So, um so I always just love playing with those guys regardless. When I'm in Spain, when I'm back in the UK, that period of time in the season always means a lot to me because it takes my mind away from, you know, domestic league and everything that I'm, you know, doing. And it allows me just to, you know, focus on GB and basketball for that period of time. Do you so see that kind of to a core group now that you're obviously a part of that maybe can aim a little bit higher again? Um, 100%, man. Uh, I think we have a group of guys that enjoy working together. Um, they know to win in Europe, especially, how much we need each other. You know, um, there's no one on our team that, that is able to just do it all. We, we all um, fit, you know, like a, like a puzzle. And, and we work really well off each other. So... Your own game. I mean, you, we've seen this training videos on, on Sky and elsewhere with you and, and Gary Maitland sort of getting, getting you perfect shape. What's, what's the process for you in terms of, outside of lockdown, obviously, but what's the process for you in terms of self-improvement and, and finding little things that you can, can work on and be better at? Um, I mean, I feel like there's always a lot to improve on. Uh, in the off season, uh, I primarily just try and make sure that I stay in shape. Um, especially the older you get, the more important it is to to keep your body in shape, take care of your body, because um, that's my office. Um, so I'll just stay in shape, and then you know, as as we get into the second half of the off season, that's when I'd start working on you know ball handling stuff, 
working on more skill set stuff. Because, um, yeah, I, I feel like there's always ways to improve. And for me personally, it's about working on what I'm really good at and making sure that I never lose, you know, my strengths. And then just improving a little bit in other areas consistently. Just improve a little bit, add a little bit more every year. And, yeah, man. How hard is it for an athlete, especially like one like you that lives to play and is a bit, you know, gym rat, etc. You know, but how, how tough is not being able to go to the to a gym or a basketball court for two months? Being oh man, <laughs> it's tough. It's not easy. It's not easy. But um, I mean, the rest for me and this down period has has been really good, man. Because obviously, like we discussed, this last year has just been it's been a lot. It's been full on. So, you know, for me personally, it's probably really necessary. It's forced me to sort of slow down and, um, yeah, man, just be able to live back at um, a Mercia pace, a very slow and easy going, <laughs> a very slow and easy going pace. You be up at nine o'clock doing your due works every morning. Oh, man, nine o'clock, that's late. Come on, man. We've got to get up earlier than that. we got to get up earlier than that. Nine, that's half your day. <laughs> I suppose people want to know, are, what's the situation for what we think will be next season? Are you back in London? What's what's the kind of thought process oh, I don't of, know. about where you go? I really don't know at this point in time. It's something where I'm waiting to see, obviously, what happens. Uh, with the Lions and everything and waiting for everything to settle a little bit um, and then once everything's settled then I think it'll make more sense to be able to make a decision do you know what I mean but I really don't know how everyone's going to move forward at this point I mean so, could you could you go back to somewhere like Spain at this point or is everything else just too big now over here um, I mean I don't think anything's too big as long as I'm just keeping being true to myself do you know what I mean and that's what it's about for me at this point doing what what makes me happy and what will give me the most fulfillment um you know so uh you know Spain isn't off the tables playing overseas it's not off the tables do you know what I mean um but like I said I think it's only a decision that I'll really be able to make once everything kind of settles down a little bit I mean all this this fame and this status and this brand over that you've got now, what would you like to do with that? I mean, beyond the, you know, the kind of the endorsement deals or anything like that, but you know, what in a bigger picture would you like to use this for? Um, on a bigger picture to give back, give back to people, man. I think anytime you're in a position where you're highly influential, um, you know, you need to do your best to influence people to help themselves in a positive way um there's a lot of influence that tells people what they don't have and what you should be doing or hey you need to be buying this or buying that no i'm not really interested in that do you know what i mean i'm interested in helping you see what you already have and what you can work with and now that can help you the most and help you more than anything else do you know what i mean that what you have is the core of of your business of your company of of you know brand you you feel me um and and that's probably the biggest thing that i would like to give to people man um just realizing that does it make you you know at the age of you know, you're turning 30 next year's yeah. time in anyone's life but does it does it make you think okay after basketball i've got 
all these things I'm quite good at now and these people that I know that might be able to help me and avenues that are out there and suddenly it's like the the, the second career becomes a much more fascinating option. Um, it's one of those things. Um, I'm at a point now where it's not really about what I can get from people. It's more about what I can give. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm not about trying to take, take, take. Um, because the people who live the happiest lives are the biggest givers, regardless of what we, you know anyone might might think. Um, so at this point, I'm just looking for ways. Okay, how can I impact the community? How can I impact other people? Um, in a way where they feel fulfilled. I feel like there's too, too, too much things and too many transactions that go on now where people feel ripped off and they feel used and they feel um, like they've been blindsided by one thing or another. You know, I'm just about giving back um, things of a positive nature that can help people out genuinely. A couple of final things. When we talk about giving, what's the weirdest thing anyone's given you for the past year? <laughs> uh, that's probably been the weirdest <laughs> that's, that's a strange one trust me but, uh, it's not quite strange because you know, people are just probably it's that sort of freebie culture when you, know, you get there but you know, there must be sort of times when you people give you stuff and you go okay what's that for why are you giving me this and oh, where man. can I put you it you know what but I, I, I try not to take things that I want <laughs> Uh, honestly, um, you know, it's always nice and people mean well or, or whatnot um, and they want to gift you stuff. But, I, you know, I try not to take things that I won't use because um, someone else out there will use it. So I don't want to just be. And, and, and last thing with the with the baking skills. Uh, and as, you know, as someone like like many of us who has suddenly discovered baking during this lockdown, <laughs> um, what do, where do you go with that? Is there a range of you know, OV cakes coming out? I mean, how much is this oh, a developmental man. opportunity for you? I'm still working on, you know, my baking <laughs> skills, you know. Um, I'm all right at cooking, you know, because cooking, you can just go off flavor and, you know, you can go off feel, your feel for the kitchen. Baking, whole different animal. Um, it's very precise. It's all about precision. You have to, you know, leave it to set for a perfect amount of time, has to be in the oven at this temperature for this amount. It's very, very specific. So I still got a ways to go before I um, make any OV branded cakes, but yeah, hopefully one day we'll get to that. Point. The invite for Celebrity MasterChef can surely just be around the corner. Uh, MasterChef, I'm telling you, hey, who knows? That could be in the pipeline. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be out there. But uh, Ovi, it's been terrific to see what's happened to you over the past year and, and how you're dealing with it and continued success on and off the court as well. Um, and you know, enjoy the rest of lockdown, or if it is still no, lockdown, who knows where we're at right now. <laughs> I appreciate you, Mark. Thanks for having me, man, big time. Thanks for coming, Ovi. That's it for this edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you in association with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Give them a little follow on social media at TE Compliance Limited. Don't forget, you can get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. If you want to get in touch, reach out to me on Twitter at Mark Britball. Another edition of the MVP Cast coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, it's bye for now.